welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast. I am your host, Cody McBroom, the CEO of Tailored Coaching Method, a world-renowned online coaching company. This podcast is built to help you create a life by design. That's what the Tailored Life is. It's choosing to blaze your own path, make your own decisions, and create a life you desire. So in this podcast, you're going to learn ways to optimize your body, optimize your mind, optimize your relationships and optimize your business and career this is the podcast for personal development junkies and people who can't stop growing because they strive for more we are also going to bring on experts in every single field to teach you their own expertise so you're not only learning from me four days a week but I'm bringing other professionals in to teach you their principles too so if you love personal development and you constantly want to strive for more in life this is the podcast for you. Make sure you hit subscribe, send this to a friend that needs it, and keep listening to improve your life all around. And without any further ado, let's get into the Tailored Life Podcast. We are back with a Q&A. Happy Friday. Today we dive into really only five questions. So usually we probably answer about 10 questions or so. Um, it's a rant kind of day, so you're going to hear some long-winded answers, but I think there's a lot of context in there because we do bring up very specific situations about past clients, things like that, and I think we only stayed on training and nutrition. So today, you're literally just going to learn from me about training and nutrition. We do bring some science into it, but it's a lot of experience, a lot of what I've gone through and what I've done in my own career that I think ultimately is going to teach you the most that you can possibly learn is, is from real world experience and evidence. So I'm excited for you guys to listen to this. Um, as always, if you like this podcast, do me a huge favor, subscribe wherever you are watching or listening. So if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the little red bell so you can get notified whenever we upload a new episode. If you're on iTunes, make sure you're subscribed. And as always, no matter where you're listening, share this on your Instagram, tag me with a screenshot at Cody McBroom. I want to thank you for listening and I want to share it on my story as well. So without any further ado, Let's get into the Q&A. Check, check. Check, check. I almost forgot what we were doing today. Another Q&A. <laughs> Q&A. Did a couple uh, different kinds of Q&A episodes. Call it questions, subjects, whatever you want. The overrated, categories. underrated were fun. Yeah, categories, topics. Categories. I almost wish, if we do this again. Do what? Uh, if we do another overrated, underrated again, um, which is not what we're doing today. But if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost want more random personality ones those yeah. were the like when somebody asked about follow boy that was my favorite <laughs> one because it like brought up memories yeah. and we got to like bullshit about fucking fallout boy yeah cody talked about it all weekend long yeah it was <laughs> a good time we started listening to fallout boy at the barbecue oh um God, i'm just joking <laughs> what what like encourages somebody to name their band fallout boy what does that mean you'd have to ask them yeah i would but <laughs> i don't know if they talk to me what's the guy's name the guitar player is really famous yeah I just lost I it. Know, I, I knew his name for a sec. Doesn't matter. Yeah, Fall Out Boy's a weird name. That's so, like, I mean, that's, that's a lot of bands. There's a band called Cake. You heard of them? No. I guarantee you've heard a Cake song. Really? Yeah, it's like a, a alternative 90s band, but it's, uh, of course, but it's, uh, <laughs> that's all I listen to. Um, I'm not going to start singing on the mic, but right. I'll play you a song later. And <laughs> you, you would know exactly what it was. All right. Um, we were doing that at that, that barbecue. There was another band. Singing Cake? Um, what's that song about Jack and Joe? Steve Miller band is it? or no? No, it's it's that area though. You uh, know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it is. Uh, I think it starts with a W. Dude, you're right. I I don't know, man. Well, they 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 brought that band up, and I was like, I have no idea who you're talking about <laughs> you're whatsoever. Too, too younger. I thought. I mean, that's what they were giving me shit about because I was the youngest there. But um, and then they played it, and I was like, oh. Oh, Mellencamp? Mellencamp. Yeah. Not a WM. There you go. Mellencamp. I was like, who the fuck is Mellencamp? I just looked up Jack and Jill and it was like the kids song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. But then uh, John Mellencamp came yeah. in my head. Um, but they, they were talking about him and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's, I know that band. That's a dude. I but think. that's another weird. Okay. I don't oh, know, though. So is that a last name? I think, yeah. John oh, Mellencamp. They said Mellencamp and I thought those, they just said Mellencamp. Oh. So I assumed that was the band. Oh. Maybe I'm wrong, but I know it's John Mellencamp. Yeah. See, like, Rage Against the Machine, that makes sense to me. Because they're, like, all about, like, against the man, against the government. It's, like, it's raging against the yeah. machine. Green the machine Day. Is, that makes no sense. A lot of them don't make sense. Green Day makes no sense. Yeah. Where did you get that? My Chemical Romance. That I was thinking about that one, too, then. Yeah. I mean, My Chemical Romance. Like, uh, okay. No, that's uh, Hawthorne Heights, isn't it? 
my eyes my wrist and I think cut my cut my wrist and black my eyes. No, no, my eyes burn. My eyes burn is ke- my chemical romance. Oh, never mind. Yeah, Hawthorne Heights. And then that one that says, "I woke up in a car." I don't know. All right, yeah. people will know though. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of weird band names. <laughs> All right, let's get into it, man. Yeah, let's actually talk about something. Um, I don't Matchbox Twenty. What is that, dude? Phenomenal. I mean, they're not, but what? They're not, but we're going blue. What? Yeah, blue. What does Matchbox Twenty even mean? Soundgarden makes sense a little bit. All right, guys, we're gonna get in the Q and A. We'll uh, do a different episode about band names later. <laughs> so we got first question comes from EMS Lou Brown. How do we decide what kind of training program is best for us? The easiest way to do it is to you go to the Taylor trainer and it gives you the right program. There's a list of them. There's even a quiz. Actually, there's not a quiz anymore. There used to be, but um, if we if we Look at like, so we, we had that quiz in the Taylor Trainer, right? And mm-hmm. it was like basically ask you a sequence of questions to help you find the right program. Um, there's a sequence of questions you can ask yourself that make it really, really easy. And the first one is, what's your goal? The key to most training progress is specificity, even if your goal is not that specific, right? So, for example, you come to me and your goal is to get stronger, but you also want to look better and you're kind of in a fat loss phase. So, it's like, okay, so you want to train for muscle, but you also don't want to be weak. So you want to have some performance in there and your main goal is fat loss. So that's like not very specific at all, but it's, it's a hybrid approach and that's specific enough. But the point is, is like get as specific as you can come to the table, go, what is my goal? Fat loss, muscle growth, strength, aerobic ability, endurance. Are you playing a sport? What is it? Um, rehab because your joints are banged up or whatever it is. You have an injury from there. Okay, cool. Your goal is hypertrophy. How many days a week can you train? Three, four, five, six, seven. Um, probably nobody going to be doing seven. I wouldn't recommend it. But three, four, five, six days per week. From there, what kind of splits have you done in the past? And I always do this with people because your past is going to – if you have a good amount of training experience, if you haven't done any training programs, then this question is irrelevant because mm-hmm. any of the programs are going to work for you as long as you do it. So it's kind of like taking a step back because if somebody says, my goal is hy- hypertrophy, uh, I can train six days a week, what what have you done in the past? And they say nothing. I've never trained before. I'm gonna go. Okay, let's go back to the last question. Let's train three days a week. Yeah. So you don't get too fucked up from this program, or and you can act or overwhelmed, yeah. and you can actually stay consistent. Yeah. And you're gonna grow from three days. So let's just properly recover. And as you get more fatigued and sore, your form dies down. So if you're too sore all week because you're doing six days a week, your form's gonna be shitty. So sometimes you have to take a step back, but. Um, your past programs are going to tell you a lot about, and maybe even ask that before, how many days a week can you train? I just think that's a good question because if you, if you want to train six days, but your work schedule only allows four, mm-hmm. don't try to train six because you're just not going to stick with it. It's just no point. Um, but with that being said, um, your past goals tell you a lot or your past training programs tell you a lot about what worked and what didn't work and what you adhere, adhered to the best. So I know for me, I can tell you by my past that like I respond really well to a six day program where I'm doing like push pull legs, like my body just grows. I respond good to high volumes, but I know for a fact that if I go beyond three or four months of doing that, I just get smoked. I'm like burnt out. I'm sore. I'm too tired. So knowing that I might implement a eight week, so like a two month high volume block where I'm doing six days a week. And maybe that's at the tail end of of a, a long cycle. So I'm going like four days a week for a couple months, five days a week for a month, six days a week for two months. And then I back way off and go back to four days on a strength block to kind of reset because I can't last in that six day for too long. I just, I just get burnt out. Right. But if I can do it for eight weeks and I know that now I'm going to do that because I'm going to grow a lot in that eight weeks from it. Um, now my schedule allows me to train as many days a week as I want. So that kind of changes things. So going back to the last question, how many days a week can I train right now? And the answer is five. Mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, Saturday I can, but then I'd rather sleep in because my body needs it. So for me, it's five days a week, you know? Um, but that past, all my past training programs tell me a very distinct thing, high volumes, low intensity, they work well for me. So when I do reps six at the lowest above eight, usually I respond the best to, which means I can usually do more sets, more total volume. It's more of a bodybuilding style program. I'm more slow twitch than fast twitch, kind of like what we were talking about with Andy Galpin. You can kind of tell if you're more fast twitch or slow twitch dominant muscle fiber wise based on your past programs and what you've responded well to. 
Um, and I learned this the most when I was training every day with Theo because Theo is very fast twitch, complete opposite of me. We'd do a, a high volume bodybuilding program and I'd respond super well and he wouldn't and he wasn't motivated to train. And then we'd switch to a low volume, high intensity program. He would respond really well and be motivated and I wouldn't be and I wasn't responding. Gotcha. Right? After a while, we realized like we should probably just be doing different programs. <laughs> but that taught me a lot about what I respond best to. So knowing that and my schedule, I know for a fact that typically a four day upper lower split with higher volumes is going to be the best for me mainly bodybuilding, higher reps, maybe some low reps on my like squat bench and deadlift just to improve strength a little bit. Um, but no lower than three, usually between that three to six range. And then everything else is eight plus reps. So high volume, high reps, a lot of exercise variation, tons of bodybuilding, four days a week. That's always going to work best. Right now I'm doing five days just for the back injury because I wanted to do one leg day for upper body days. But most of the time, I know it works best based on my history and my schedule and my goal. My goal is to look aesthetic muscle. Um, so knowing that the person listening to the podcast or asking the question, you should ask yourself those questions based on your family, social work and personal lifestyle, stress management and capacity. How much can you handle? How many days a week can you train? Once you answer that and you've answered what your goal is, then you can decide on what kind of program works best for you based on your history. If you don't have a history or enough history to tell you what works best. I would always do whatever you uh, are most drawn to or what you haven't done yet. Mm. So for example, if you come to me and you say, I can train four days a week, my goal is aesthetic. So I want to lose fat, build muscle. And I don't have any history of training outside of CrossFit. That's a very high intensity modality. Uh, all the strength work is low rep. There's no bodybuilding what are we going to do? Are we going to do more CrossFit because you got results at the beginning or are we going to completely change it because your body probably needs to change? We're probably going to change it, right? If you came to me and the only thing you've ever done is bodybuilding and you can train four days a week and you stopped responding to bodybuilding, you're just not growing anymore, you're not getting leaner, you're not getting stronger, whatever it is, I'm going to switch you to a low volume program, higher intensity, like the opposite of what the last person was. So doing what you haven't done is going to help probably because it's like the best program is a program you haven't done before. Yeah. But also because now in six months you can look back and go, okay, I've done a low, moderate, and high volume training program with high, moderate, and low intensities, and I can see what I work best with. Because some people work better in the middle, like moderate intensities and moderate volume. Some days are low volume, high intensity, and some days are high volume, low intensity, and it's undulating throughout the week. You know, So it, it, it really just depends. But ultimately for me <clears> – <throat> Best training split is going to be what matches your schedule, what aligns with your specific goal, and then what your history has told you you respond best to or you haven't tried yet because that could be the thing that you respond best to. So there's no immediate answer to find out what the best program for you is. You have to test it. Yeah. I mean, there's essentially, you know, three-day full body or because that's the hard thing too is like, okay, you can only train three days a week, but your goal is hypertrophy. Some people say, oh, your only option is full body because you're only training three days a week. I would probably do an upper lower full body split. So you go upper body day one, upper lower body day two, and then full body day three. You still get that two times a week frequency for the major muscle groups you want to work, but the upper lower split is going to be better for hypertrophy. So now I have two days of upper lower really focused on hypertrophy, and then the third day is full body, and I'm going to be missing out on some body parts, but I'm also going to be able to focus more on the body parts that this individual cares about more. So yeah. if somebody comes to me with a three-day plan for hypertrophy focus or aesthetic focus and they're like I want to be well-rounded but I really want to grow my glutes or I really want to grow my biceps and shoulders I can specialize on those on that third day for sure for extra frequency um, upper lower split almost works best for everybody in any situation that's the one that I'm like this is probably going to work for anybody because even for somebody that's like I can train six days a week but I'm like you don't need to Let's do four because minimal effective dose is probably going to be better for you. You'll recover better, and we have room to, to build on top of it still. Six days a week, we can't build on that. Mm -hmm. We're going to train fucking seven days a week, <laughs> like just nonstop every day. No way. Joints are going to be killing you. But a four-day-a-week plan can be strength-specific, can be um, hypertrophy-specific. It can be a combination of both. It could even be more like performance-based or like if you're an athlete who's playing a sport, you can gear it towards that. So upper lower is very malleable. Um, and then once we go above four, it's like basically strictly hypertrophy because a five-day split is probably going to be best as upper, lower, push-pull legs, and then a six-day is going to be push-pull legs, push-pull legs. 
both of those are going to be higher volumes. And if your goal is strength, you don't need to be doing that high volumes because you won't be able to recover from that and the intensity you need to do to build strength. Because we know strength is intensity based. You have to do low reps with heavy loads and high percentages of your one rep max in order to build strength. But if you're doing five or six days a week while trying to do that, it's just too much. Yeah. You know, you can't do everything at once. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's about as close to black and white as I can get is giving those specific splits. But otherwise it's how many days a week can you train? What's your specific goal? And what does your history tell you about your training? There you go. You know? Yeah. All right, cool. Let's, uh, and I will make a quick plug. I know we already did, but that's why the Toyota trainer is nice Yeah. because there is a list of programs and there's a reason each program fits a certain person. And then you have a group. Not only do you have explanations on the programs to tell you which one to do, but you can also preview the programs before you jump into them so you can see what they're about. And then you can jump into the group and ask a question or just message me in the app and ask me like, what program should I be doing? If this is who I am, this is my goal. You know, like somebody asked me the other day, I'm, 55. I've been training for 15 years. Uh, my goal is strength and I just want to keep my joints healthy. Perfect. This is the program right. I would do. You know what I mean? It's just easy. So, and that's the whole point of it. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. We'll uh, move on to the next one. The next one comes from Jen Johnston. I feel silly for asking this, but I have a hard time wanting to work out my upper body. I have naturally large biceps and the last thing I want to do is grow them, but I do want a more defined back any suggestions on movements that have minimal bicep engagements to, to still develop my back yeah um think of any type of row or pull down or reverse fly that has minimal elbow flexion so if we look at for example a chin-up versus a pull-up a chin-up has a supinated grip and there's more elbow flexion you're gonna get more biceps mm-hmm uh, a, a pull-up has a pronated grip, so you're going to get more forearms, less bicep, and a wider grip, so you have less elbow flexion, less biceps. Still going to get some biceps. But if we look at defining a back without building your biceps, you could do um, cable face pulls because even though there's a, lot of bice- there's a lot of elbow flexion in that movement, it's not in a way like the tension in, in the mechanical tension from the cable or the band isn't coming from a direction where the load's going to place that tension on the bicep. It's all going to be in your upper back rotator cuff your delt. Um, a dumbbell posterior fly, very minimal, if any bicep engagement, because your elbows are almost straight. Yeah. Um, a straight arm pull down is going to hammer your lats. It's straight arm pull down. You literally keep your arms straight. Um, a, a dumbbell pullover, hammer your lats, keeps your elbow straight. Um, the list goes on. The list goes on. I mean, not really. I mean, there's, there's, you, you, you kind of have to limit every row and pull down if you want to get too serious about it. But even a lat dominant row, if you look at my YouTube, there's a, a lat dominant row. I program this all the time for people. You get a really wide stance with your legs so that you can drive your elbow low and you don't hit your hip. But you're drive, you're dragging your elbow towards your back pocket and you're depressing your shoulder down. When you look at the top of that row, my elbow's like this. Okay. Like if you're watching on YouTube, you'd see it maybe. But my elbow's way low and my elbow's not that flexed, right? If I did a regular one-arm row, my elbow's up here. Now what do I have? More upper back, more bicep because my elbow flexes more. So doing a one-arm row or even a cable row and shoulders down and you just drag your elbows low, Mm -hmm. the thing where people think it's not as effective or they they fail to do it, especially if they don't have a, a lot of knowledge around anatomy, which the everyday person training, I have no reason to believe you would or expect you to know anatomy of the human body. There's just no point. But um, if you're dragging your elbow low on a seated cable row, there's not that much movement. There's not a lot of range of motion, right? Where I keep my elbows high, there's a lot of range of motion going on here. Low, I go about that far. So when people see a very small range of motion, they think it's ineffective or they think of like cheat reps. Like you're not even doing the full rep. Like, yeah, you can load that super heavy because you're not doing the full there's, rep. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. Um, now, if you're doing shrugs with a, a super heavy load and you look like you're humping or sh- like seizing on the bar, if you you probably haven't seen this mm-hmm. in public gyms because you don't go to public gyms, but they, they like are shrugging, right? And their body's like compulsing. <laughs> they have like 400 pounds on this bar and they're barely moving. It's just like the momentum of them shaking the bar and like ducking underneath it. And it looks like they're doing shrugs. And it's like, and then they like slam the bar. It's like, okay, bro, you just shrugged 400 pounds. <laughs> and then actually we, we did this just a couple weeks ago 
and we went to do barbell shrugs. And before CJ was here, he used to train at a public gym. And I put a 145 on each side, just 135 pounds. He's like, you're not going to load it up? I did. He's like, what? And I'm like, just fucking do it exactly how I do it. Wide grip. I lean forward. Pause at the top. I'm like really focusing on my scapular movement. Maybe 10 reps. And he's like shaking, right? Yeah. I was too. Yeah. But like if you do it properly, one, you don't need a crazy range of motion. And two, you don't need to load it up. It's, it's, it's about the, the muscle actually activating properly, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would go straight arm pull downs, face pulls, posterior flies, shrugs, um, any type of horizontal row with a, uh, a low elbow position and very minimal elbow flexion. And then any type of pull down, you're just always doing a pronated grip. No neutral, no supinated. Gotcha. Right. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on when you were talking about the shrugs there, you were saying you really focus on your scapula and moving it, you know, that, but you also said that you don't have to work when you do it the proper way. You don't have to worry about as much range of motion. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the same thing as like range of motion of your scapula and, or and am I thinking too hard? In no, you're, you're correct with the, the shrug. You're still going to get a good range of motion. Mm -hmm. Um, you're just not using momentum to, to create that range of motion on the seated row. You're getting way less range of motion. Okay. So I think that analogy applies way more to the first one, okay. not as much to the shrugs. I'm glad you said that. Okay. With, with the shrug, you actually do get quite a bit of range of motion because you're really letting your scapula depress. But in that situation, number one, I don't have, okay, like I'm not literally humping the bar, but like mm -hmm. when they're shaking and swinging, that momentum is basically bringing the bar up and they're ducking down. Yeah. yeah so yeah. if I duck under the bar, I'm not shrugging the bar up. I'm ducking underneath it. It's yeah. not going to activate my traps. But if I go really slow and I let my shoulders drop all the way down, I'm stretching the trap muscle because yep. stretch phase of the movement. And then I'm elevating my scapula. I'm using my trap to elevate it. And then I'm retracting. So I'm pulling it back, which is going to use my like lower trap mid rhomboid. And then I'm depressing again. Gotcha. Right. So it's actually a more exaggerated range of motion for the shrug. Yeah. Um, on the, on the horizontal rows, it's just 50% of the range of motion as far as like the distance traveled. But even that is a hard analogy to use because range of motion of a muscle is different than the range of motion of the load, right? So on a row the, uh, with normal elbow position, the range of motion of the load is pretty good, right? You go pretty far. The range of motion of a low elbow row with the load is not that much. It's about half as much, but it's a different muscle group, right? You're using a lot more lats when you do a low elbow row. So the range of motion of that muscle is doing its full capacity mm. when the load's not moving that far. For sure. Because it's a different movement, right? Whereas if I'm doing a regular row and I'm my elbows are a little bit higher, I am going to get more bicep. I'm going to get more trap, more rhomboid, more rear delt, like not that much lat, right? So it's a good distinction to make. It's just a range of motion of a muscle versus range of motion of the dumbbell or the weight or the cable or whatever it is. For sure. Yeah, but just think like in general, Jen, just think – Movements that use very minimal elbow flexion to fire the muscles in your back. Perfect way to say e it. Yeah, easy way to go about it. Cool, man. All right, let's go to the next one. We got a two-part question here. It's from Joanna Hernandez. All right, this is a uh, broken down. First question, how do you handle clients who are not that motivated or do not do what you tell them to do or are stubborn? <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> As coaches, I get that we are here to motivate and su provide support, but I, but there are those clients who do not take it seriously as they betray themselves to, and they feel frustrated like we are you are wasting your time. So there's a few things that I would say about this one. Number one, if you're if you're coaching people for free, that's going to be one of the main reasons. Mm -hmm. There's not enough accountability. There's not enough buy-in. If you're coaching people for too cheap, your prices are too low. Same same thing because the value you are bringing isn't matched with the price you are charging. And so the perceived value to the person isn't there. And this is really important for people to realize because as a coach, I see a tremendous amount of value inside of coaching. So if, a, if I hire a coach and they tell me their price, there's a lot of times where, and I've even told you this, yeah. like outside of calls, I'm like, do they need to raise their price? Yeah. Right? Because I see the value in coaching and I know the value that they bring. But a person off the street, an everyday person, doesn't understand the value of a coach. They associate value with dollar signs. So if they're paying 
a good amount of money for a coach, they perceive that coach as more valuable. Sure. It doesn't matter about your credentials or your experience or how, what the results you get or the life-changing results you know they'll see in two years if they stick with this because they don't understand that shit. They don't study it. They don't experience it. They don't see people go through it, right? So that's the first thing. You have to make sure you're charging the right amount and they understand that. The other part is explaining the value inside of coaching outside of the dollar sign. Everything I just talked about, but breaking that down for the client so they understand what you understand about coaching. And then the other thing is, 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 you know, like I don't deal with this as much anymore. Every once in a while we do, but the, the most common people that go through this are people who don't actually want to coach. Mm. There are people who don't actually. So if you haven't listened to this yet, which you asked this question weeks ago <laughs> and we're just now getting to it. So you very well may have listened to it, but maybe listen to it again. The behavior change episode goes over this very specifically. So if you're listening to this now and you haven't heard the behavior change episode, which I believe was last week as this aired, uh, as this is airing right now, go listen to that. We'll link in the show notes that that episode goes over this specifically, but there's different stages of behavior change. And most of the time these people are in denial. So they're in a, in a phase where they don't understand that they need to change or they don't know. They're not fully aware of, of, they're not aware they need to change or they don't believe they can change. So this, a, a common one is like, you go to the doctor, the doctor says you're unhealthy, you got to hire a trainer. And you're like, well, fuck, all right, I got to hire a trainer because my doctor says so and insurance is paying for it. That dude does not really give a shit about the training. Mm. So he's going to be one of the worst clients you have, yeah. right? Unless you can really get him to break through. And the best way to do that is to, to get him to visualize where he could be, which usually involves him understanding and becoming aware of the pain, right? So talking to that client and go, all right, like there's a better way to do this, but basically asking him what he doesn't like about himself. Where are you unhappy? Like day to day, what do you notice about your health? Is it lack of energy? Do you sweat too much? Do you, do you have bad digestion? Is your brother jacked and you hate being around him because he's like a genetic freak and you wish you were that way? You were like the black sheep. Your family. Like anything. Figure out a way to get in there and then go, okay, cool. What would life be like in six months if we reverse that? If you were the lean one in your family, if you barely ever sweated, you had tons of energy, your bloating and digestive and gas and all that shit went away completely. Now they can start visualizing like, okay, like life would be really fucking good. Okay, cool. That's what this training is about. Mm -hmm. You know, despite what your doctor said about your cholesterol, which we'll fix that too, but this is about this, you know? So sometimes you have to paint the picture for them, but a, a lot of times, like I said, it's, it's, it's all in that behavior change episode. It, it comes down to, they need to be more aware. So they're either unaware they need to change or they're in denial that they need to change. Right. So somebody who uh, is chewing tobacco and is like, ah, my lips are fine. I don't need to, I don't need to stop. Like we have plenty of friends that we've, <laughs> yeah. we've gone through that with. They're in denial. Yeah. Like they need to change and they just haven't. Like I've been in denial with like work-life balance or, or like my sleep. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's denial because they, they acknowledge it. So it's not denial. It's just could give two shits. They are in denial that they need help. I mean, it depends on need the situation. help is an opinion. Tobacco might have been a bad example. Sleep. I get by on five, six hours of sleep. Yeah. I'm fine. I don't need anybody's help. Yeah. It wasn't until I interviewed the sleep scientists yeah. that were like, well, studies say that you're full of shit. I was like, oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll try seven hours. And then I felt way better. And I was like, oh, shit, okay. Maybe my wife and my friends and my clients and, and you know what I mean? Like yeah. Everybody was right. Yeah. No. So... I thought I like the sleep's a better analogy because I literally thought I was kind of an anomaly. Like I didn't think I actually needed more sleep because I thought I was different. And then I got a little more sleep and I was like even more on fire. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. Um, chewing tobacco is hard because it's, I mean, it's fucking clear. Your lips going to fall off yeah. at a certain point. <laughs> Nothing against people that chew. I used to chew. I have a lot of people that chew. Some people don't believe that even, I guess, but I mean, there's been people that have chewed since their grave and their lip never fell off. So that's the, that's the hard yeah. part. I don't chew anymore either. And, so it's hard for me to argue, but that's a valid argument. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but bad, maybe bad example. It could happen to them though. It very well could. So it's happened to others. Yeah. 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 I don't know if that's a good example or not. Cause you could say like they're in denial that it could happen to them. There you go. Maybe that might be better. That might be reaching a yeah. little bit. But All right. Now we're detouring. Yeah. Point, point being is they're either in denial that they, they need to change or they're unaware that they need to change. Gotcha. Um, and usually even if they're in denial, you need to figure out a way for them to learn. If they're unaware, they need to learn too. So either way, it's education that's going to drive that compliance. Um, 
And then you need to help them visualize the goal. That's I've had goal. Like I usually, we, we start the coaching process with a lot of deep diving into where are you at? Why are you struggling? What is the perfect vision of your life and you as a person in three, six, 12 months? Totally. Because now you lay out your starting point for us. So we have a better understanding and you become aware of where you're at. You lay out all your struggles, all your pain points, all the reasons why you're stuck and you feel the way you feel. So we know what to change and you can be aware that you're not in a good place and that you could be better. Yeah. And then we visualize what that is. Totally. Right. And then we rarely have to have that conversation again, you know, and, and the conversations I typically have that are similar to this are like, I'm frustrated. This isn't working. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. I'm done with my rant. Let's get back to it. Sorry for that. I'm having a shitty day. You know, and, and I literally see these emails all the time from clients. They'll like basically bitch and moan. And then by the end of it, they're like, I know this is just part of the process. I'm sorry. Like, thanks for reading this. And I'm like, yep, that's part of why I'm here. Mm -hmm. Bitch it out. Like, I don't care. Like part of my job is to help you get through those moments where you like, this sucks. I want to quit. Um, which is a slightly different scenario, but ultimately I think it comes down to like, they just don't want it enough and you got to figure out a way for them to want it. There's a lot of things that, man, like we, we, we say we want, but when it comes down, like push and shove, when it comes down to what you have to do to get there, you start backing down or you start saying, ah, I don't know. And like, and, and it's ultimate, like you really just don't want it that bad, you know? And that's actually a good way to, to frame it too. Like talking to that person and going like, Hey, do you really want this? Mm -hmm. And if they say, yeah, I'd be like, okay will you do X, Y, Z? And they make an excuse. They say, no, it's like, hey, you don't want it then. Like, you really don't want it because like macros is the easiest way to look at it. You want to lose weight? Yeah, okay, we're going to track macros. No, I don't want to do that. If you really wanted to lose weight, if you really wanted to feel sexy, feel more energetic, feel better, perform better, or joints hurt less, whatever it is, tracking macros is so fucking simple. Like, you would easily do that if you truly wanted that change. Yeah. But if you don't want that change, that's fine. You have to admit that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's coaches have a hard time having that conversation because they're like, well, what if the client says they don't want that? Then, then they leave and then I don't get paid. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So a lot of trainers go through their head and it's like, yeah, but that's called integrity based coaching. Yeah. It's not the client you want. It's not the client you want. And you have to sacrifice that. Like you can't be afraid of losing money at the, at the risk of, of not helping somebody for sure. Hey, do you want quick, easy, and fast fat loss? So fast that it'll happen in 30 days and maybe all you have to do is take a pill? Well, you're shit out of luck because it's not gonna happen. It takes hard work and patience, which is one of the reasons why I love Legion Supplements. They are open and honest about their marketing and on the front page, they tell you that supplements don't overrule training and nutrition, but they do supplement a good diet and a good training program. So if your training's dialed in, your nutrition is on point, and you wanna get that upper edge and take things to the next level to get the best results possible, for your body and performance, check out Legion and save 20% today by heading to buylegion.com slash boom boom. Now let's get back to the episode. All right. Uh, Joanna had a, a second question. Well, uh, it says how to narrow your niche to an audience that you know will put in the work and are serious about it. I mean, it's kind of a good follow-up question. Yeah. I believe how to narrow down your niche. I personally believe that a coach earns their niche. I don't think you can narrow down your niche until you've been doing it long enough. Huh. So it kind of depends how you go about it. With COVID, it's a completely different situation. But pre-COVID, my, my advice would have been become an in-person trainer and train whoever the fuck walks in that door or they hand you a client as a client. Trial and error, trial and error. Anybody. Yeah. It's just learning, experience. You know, all genders, all age, all goals, all focuses, doesn't matter. Like all struggles, you work with as many people as you can. Along that journey, you will find out if that niche you thought was your niche will be your niche and you will figure out. So you'll figure out if the niche you thought was your niche is your niche or if it's a different niche and you'll earn the rights to claim a niche otherwise. So yeah. what I mean by that is after six and a half years of training people in person proving that I can work with anybody because I didn't get a choice of who I worked with. And I was fine with that. Yeah. I was like, give me as many people as you want. I will work with anybody. And after that, and, and creating a lot of content along the way, and this is what I would do, train people in person, train anybody you can, create content more specific to the niche you want to work with along that journey because 
your online content marketing isn't going to influence the people your gym gives you because the people your gym gives you as a trainer who's working for somebody else is going to be based on the content in the community of the gym, right? So in my shoes, I was creating content for science-based gen pop, right? People that wanted a more advanced approach, but they weren't competing in anything. I didn't get those people at the gym for a long time, but I got the people at the gym that were based on the content, the marketing of the gym, Mm -hmm. which I was fine with experience, 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 experience while I drove this content. And then by the time I did it for six and a half years, I earned the right to go online and say, this is the person I work with. And they came on board for sure. So I think part of it is just sucking up as a trainer and as a coach, like work with whoever you can and, and you'll earn your niche. Um, if you can train people in person, then you can start creating content for that niche along the way. But I'll also say like your niche changes when I was in high school or college and they, like we did those drills of marketing and stuff like that. And they were like, figure out your niche. I was going to work with college soccer players. Like that was the only people I would work with. That was like my, my thing. I quickly realized that college athletes don't have much money. (laughs) I didn't go play college soccer. (laughs) So that was a, that was a shot to my ability to show experience in that. Um, and I didn't have any connections in strength and conditioning, right? So it's like really hard to do that, right? And who's like, unless you're, unless I was, and I almost did, unless I was going to transfer to a university and go for a, a four or six year scholarship, I wouldn't have had the opportunity because I would have, I'm sorry, uh, degree? degree. Okay. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't have had the, the opportunity because doing that route, I would have been able to do an internship mm-hmm. as a strength coach, mm-hmm. right? Like just like Haley's about to do right now. Yeah. That in that situation, I would have been able to get in front of the right people, but without that that college, university journey, like I wouldn't have had that right. So I had to quickly switch my niche, and then it switched again and again. Um, so I, I I don't know. I think you kind of earn your niche. I think you can create content towards that person, but that may limit how many people you work with at first. Because if you if you're new in the industry and you're small in the industry, which is fine, we all start there. Nobody's gonna see the content or the stuff you're marketing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So side comment. I think that if you would have went the, like went and got a degree and kept with that instead of, you know, doing the internship at the gym stuff, you could, I think just by the way you ended up now, you could have been a very high level trainer, like a D one college or professional athletes. You know, just, yeah. Over the, you've done that for 10 years. Yeah. I think if if you would have started on that route and then did 10 years. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword because you think about it, like, that's pretty fucking cool. And, I, and, I, cool. and I believe I could do it, especially because I know people who do that. Yeah. And I, they're not above me in any way. They just know the right people. Yeah. They walk the right path. Exactly. But then I think about, like, damn, but this wouldn't be a thing. Correct. And realistically, how many, like... That's the double-edged sword. That's a really cool life and cool job. And then this But impacts, it's a job. Yeah. And this impacts way more people Boy, yeah. than any strength coach on a football team ever will. I'm just saying, if you wouldn't have walked this path, yeah. you could have been. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I, I believe it. Like, without sounding cocky, I believe so, too. Like, I know I think that. I because if you, if you worked just as hard at how you did with this at that path, yeah. it, you would have excelled at more than other people. Yeah. It would have been cool. But I just think about, too, like... I think what, so like what, what changed my, there's two things that changed my mind. Number one, I emailed Nate Green. Nate Green uh, was always one of my favorite authors. The guy lives in Oregon. He's mm-hmm. been an author for um, men's health, precision nutrition. He's doing big marketing things now. Really cool dude. Really fascinating dude. Fascinating journey. But he, I emailed him and asked him what his thoughts and opinions were because I just respected him in the industry and everything. And if I should, because uh, I was at a point where I was like, okay, I'm finishing my two-year degree, which was an associate's of applied science, but it was specifically in fitness training and health, which isn't, which is weird because there's no other community college that does that. So everybody else who has an associate's, it's in like kinesiology or not even, you can't even do that, um, business or <laughs> communications. Yeah like, yeah. like you go get a job, you know, just yeah. simple stuff. It's the only one that was fitness trainer in health. So I took a lot of really helpful classes but I asked him and it was like hey I'm, I'm finishing up I can either go start working or I can transfer to um I, I was trying to look at like UW and stuff like that because mm-hmm. I want to stay in Washington I can transfer and go get a four-year degree in kinesiology and his advice was not to he was like look you don't have to listen to me we don't know each other but um you have a good internship I know and I didn't know that he knew he's like I know who you're working for I think you should stick with that I think you would go further in what you want to do working with that like people and making a bigger impact if you just get experience working with real people, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah. if you're more passionate about sports and those things, then of course, like chase your passion. Yeah. 
I read that and I was like, I really don't give a shit about sports. <laughs> you know this. Like, I'm not a I'm not a sport fan. I was a fan of I was I was extremely fascinated with the athlete. Yeah. Like what you're doing on the field is abnormal. Okay. Like, you're just a savage. I want to work with you. Okay. Um, not the sport itself. I don't give a shit what sport. I just yeah. want to work with human savages, really. Yeah. But the, the way he framed it, I was like, well, man, like if I create something big or be a part of something big, then that could impact millions of lives eventually, you know? And we're not even far from that. If you really think of like, if we help one person lose weight and we teach them a bunch and then they help their family, you know yeah. what I mean? It spreads out. We might've already Expen- helped exponentially. a million. But the impact of being on a football team is like, well, yeah, I'd impact that one player. Maybe you'd get a Super Bowl ring or something cool. But guess what? If I didn't do it, some other guy would. That, yeah. that athlete's going to win no matter what. He's a fucking pro athlete. Understood, yeah. You know, there are some great strength conditioning coaches, but really the ones who make athletes win games are, are the coaches that's true. of the football team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the strength coaches. Yeah. And that's not a shot at people who do strength coaches because no. that's important. It's but, a team sport, though. Yeah, but a savage athlete in the NFL is going to be a savage athlete in the NFL no matter what. Correct. You know, I think the more impressive strength coaches are like Andy McCloy, who I'm good friends with. He works with NFL players, but he starts with them when they're in middle school. Yeah. That shit's crazy. And they go from middle school to junior high to high school to college, and then he's there when they sign into the NFL, and he sends them on their way. Yeah. I just saw a post by that guy, Kevin Klug, Mm -hmm. yesterday. He he had – been – he posted this thing on Instagram. He's been working with these two girls uh, since they were 10 years old. Yeah, I saw that. So, yeah, now they're signed to D1 colleges. Mm-hmm. That's dope. Stuff like that, yeah. yeah. And they'll probably come back in the summers and work with them. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. It's crazy. But Yeah, my one of my best friends, or, um, he's a uh, he's a trainer for the uh, University of Central Florida, mm-hmm. D1 college uh, football team. But he got his bachelor's in, like, either exercise science or kinesiology, and then he got his – uh, masters in sports, like sports medicine or sports training at, you know, I think it's like UC Berkeley or something, mm-hmm. and then got a job down in Florida. But I'm just thinking, like, how many routes in those kinds of fields can you go to be a sports trainer? Sports uh, kinetics, sports medicine, sports nutrition. Um, you can even do, like, sports psychology. Yeah. At the end of the day, That's it's, really it's cool connections. One. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, if I were to do it, I would probably go kinesiology and then sports psychology because mm. – Kinesiology teaches you all you really need to know about the human body. And then if you're a good trainer, I mean, I didn't take kinesiology. I just read it. No, because they didn't have it at at that level. Um, We had to take uh, anatomy, human biology, stuff like that. Um, I just went, okay, we we have this much. I'll just go get a textbook that teaches me a little bit more about exercise science. And and realistically, we did. Kinesiology is like a blanket term. I thought, yeah. You know, so we did. anatomy and physiology. I went through classes that would have been put into a kinesiology program. There you go. We just didn't get all of them because it's half the time. And some of my classes were business of personal training and nutrition and and business math, like shit like that, you know. If you're starting a business, you need to know how to start a business, which is cool. Like, not that many things do that. Like, not that many schools. But um, I feel like... I know enough on the training end, but being able to, I, I could probably, uh, I think my education could have used more focus on the periodization at that level because periodization gets really dialed in when you're working with a pro athlete. It's different than the totally. everyday person. Um, but on top of that, the sports psychology, like how to tap into a pro player's head, that's a different game, yep. especially because you you deal with the team. You have like the humble beast. You have the cocky star player you have like all these different personalities um brett bartholomew has that book uh conscious coaching it talks about this like coaching one person and then turning around and having to be a completely different person because the the level of authority and respect changes from person to person on the team because every person's from a different area different walk of life has a different like stardom has different like um shyness everything so crazy that would be the hardest part in my opinion that's crazy psychology Especially for the, the players that think they know everything, you know? Yeah. All right, but. let's get on the next question. Um, one from Anya Civic. Wow, this one's going to be a breakdown. How much time should pass with no changes in weight for you to be able to say you hit a plateau? You mentioned on a previous podcast that your drops of weight are sometimes very small and even hard to notice. My weight has been dropping very slow, 0. 0.2 to 0. 0.4 kilograms per week. I've been doing a five-day def- deficit and two-day refeed split. Is it maybe that I go too high in calories on refeed days, even if my weekly deficit is gradually lowering? Uh, she also says 
if there's a sudden spike, like two two plus or two plus kilograms in the middle of the week, do you count it in your average, even though it stands out that much was probably retention? I wish you would have said how much he weighs, because like this is where like kilograms get kind of like hard because if I told you 0.2 pounds, you'd be like a quarter of a pound. Like that's wow. pretty damn slow. Yeah. But even like 0.6 of a pound, that's half a pound. It's not much, but there's plenty of weeks where I purposely wanted to focus on a half pound of loss per week. You know, so if she came to me and she was, if she had 50 pounds to lose, I'd be like, yeah, half a pound is too little. We got to speed this up. Totally. But if she had five pounds to lose, I'd be like, no, that's perfect. Because any faster, then we're going to lose muscle. But the thing is that uh, 0.2 kilograms is actually uh, 0.44 pounds. So 0.6 kilograms is actually a pound. Totally. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's. The math is uh, whatever the kilogram is times 2.2. But if she's losing one pound a week, that's actually, that's in a normal range. So number one, if you're losing 0.2 to 0.6 kilograms per week, you're probably not at a plateau yeah. unless you have a lot of weight to lose. And even then you're not even at a plateau because if, if something is moving, that is by definition, it's not a plateau. A plateau is a dead stop. You're not mm. progressing. So even if that is too slow, it's just too slow. You just need to bump up the rate of progress by increasing steps, uh, energy expenditure, or make the deficit bigger, plain and simple. Um, however, and I think in her case, because I, I've seen her ask enough questions where I've seen her default picture enough times, I don't think she has that much weight to lose. So I think you're totally fine. I don't think you're in a plateau at all. Um, 0.2 to 0.6 kilograms is, is totally fine. But you mentioned doing a 5-2 split. So I will say that I'm less and less a fan of those as time goes on. Right when the study came out, um, I was a fan just because it was new, you know, and it was like, let me try this out. And I had success with about half the people I used it on because half the people I used it on, I used it more for adherence. It was like, you guys are weekend warriors. Let me just give you more calories on the weekend and teach you how to be flexible with it instead of it turning into a cheat day because those people would stop tracking on the weekend eat a bunch, drink a bunch, and who knows what happened, you know? And now we're in the cycle of like, okay, your, your weight's coming back down to normal. Oh, shit, you had a bad weekend again. Let's get it back down to where it was. And it's just this vicious cycle of never really losing weight because you're in a diet during the week and you're binging on the weekend. But if we can create a controlled, like, higher calorie intake, I was going to say a controlled binge, but that's a horrible way to <laughs> describe that. Um, if we give you more calories on the week, weekend to where you can fit in some of that fun stuff but we can monitor it now we can see some progress because your weekly average but there was a lot of people that it just didn't make sense with it wasn't enough days in a deficit to lose so if you came to me at a at a 5-2 split and you were at a plateau the first thing i would do is remove the 5-2 split i'd say okay go 10-2 or 10-4 so 10 days in a row two days oh. even better my preferred is usually like three to five weeks in a deficit and then one week of a diet break. If somebody has like serious stress management issues, I'll do like two weeks on one week off. But you know, the more and more diet break research that comes out and there was just a new study that came out from Jackson Pias and, and it was really good. And, and Brandon's actually on the, the team who's like writing the analysis for it. So we'll have it on our research review next month, I think. Um, but I'm, I'm, I've only heard him discuss it because it hasn't really gone like public and I haven't been able to dig through it yet, but essentially the, the things that they found were, um, hunger management is the number one benefit of a diet break, um, in muscle endurance. So basically you'll be able to replenish muscle glycogen, which was obvious. You'll have more muscle endurance, but not strength. So your one rep max bench press will not go up from having a diet break. It's not going to increase performance, but it will increase muscle endurance, which means that you could probably handle more volume which means that you probably shouldn't have a diet break on a deload. You should have it on like a peaking or intensification week where you know you're going to push volume higher because you can squeeze out more reps and sets with those extra carbs. Um, and then the only other thing that you could say is psychological, maybe it's physiological, maybe there's a, a hunger hormone going on here, or it's just the psychological side of it, but it helps with hunger. So obviously you eat more food, you get satiated, but when you go back to the diet period, you have less, uh, you're less irritable, you have less thoughts of about, about food. And I think it was like, I mean, obviously less cravings and hunger. Um, but overall, you're just, you're almost like less food focused. So people noticed that they were less stressed, less irritable, um, all these different things, more focused. And I think it's, it's less about like having these diet breaks increases brain activity. So you're more focused. I think it's more about like 
when you're deep in a diet, you're thinking about food all the time. For sure. You're fucking hungry. But if we take these diet breaks, you're not thinking about food, so you can just focus on what life, you know, what you're doing. Um, but with that being said, all these studies are using two weeks on, one week off, three weeks on, one week off. They're using a longer period of time. And even now that we have all this research, they're even saying like, you know, we thought two days was enough to see some like boosts in physiological differences in health and hormones. But now they're like, I don't even, we don't even think seven days is enough. Mm. Like you, like a full week, which is what we were always saying is like, no, you need at least a week. They're now saying like, you need a whole fucking maintenance break. So diet breaks are, are less about hormones and they're more and more about hunger management, stress management, potentially training, uh, if you're doing hypertrophy style training, not powerlifting or strength, um, and adherence, which is great because if you can manage those things down the road, you might actually manage some of those physiological changes anyway. So point being is if you were at a plateau, I would change your five, two to like a, a three week on one week off or something like that. Um, but I don't think you're in a plateau. Like if you're losing 0.2 to 0.4, you're losing about a half a pound a week. You're progressing. You're totally. good. Just keep going. Um, and if that's not enough because you do have 30 pounds or so to lose, then yeah, just create a bigger deficit. And still remove that five two approach. Yeah, and it, I'm sure there's many different ways you can create that. Yeah, or increase that deficit. It just depends on the person. Um, I actually probably should answer the first part. She was like just a very very generic like how long because there's going to be people how much time should pass with no changes in weight. Yeah, I say three weeks. That's kind of like my go to is two three go. weeks. Um, one week is just not enough time for your for for me to be fully convinced your body hasn't adapted or changed because of it. Um, and we can't fully rule out like fluctuations or your menstrual cycle and things like that after just one week, two to three weeks, we can rule out those things. The only time I will adjust on a week to week basis is if I'm like nearing a photo shoot prep or a bikini prep, especially bikini prep, because a lot of times they lose their menstrual cycle. So I know there's not gonna be any fluctuations when we're six weeks out. Yeah. I'm adjusting every week. If I need cool. to. Good. All right. There you go. Anya. We got Elsie Seberg. I have a client who has been under eating for years, but it, in a surplus maintenance for a year now. I have a client who has been under eating for years, but in a surplus slash maintenance phase for a year now. Okay, so they were dieting for a long time, and now saying, yep. they've been at maintenance for a while. For a, for a year now, and is at her quote-unquote set point weight. Hormones are still a mess, no cycle, and she has high stress. Labs show low uh, progesterone? Progesterone. Progesterone. Progesterone? I've never even heard that word. Progesterone. <laughs> uh, and she has gained some body fat she wants to lose. Do I take her into a moderate cut and see if her body responds or keep trying to resolve the hormone issues even though she's uncomfortable? And any other hormone estrogen dominance tips would be great. I don't expect you to know what that is, yeah. by the way. That goes back to like what we were saying earlier. Like I don't expect a person that hires me to know anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't expect you to know hormones. Um, all right. Uh, this one's tricky. So, like, if we if we go by, like, not literal textbook, because they don't teach you this in college, but, like, the coach's textbook, yeah. you know, we say, uh, actually, Renaissance Periodization put a really cool infographic out on Instagram, and it was, like, if you've, like, how long to your maintenance phase should be depending on your diet. So, it was, like, if you dieted for six months, your maintenance should be this long, this long, or this long, and it depends on how aggressive you were, how much weight you lost, whatever it was. It's really cool the way they did it. Um and it aligned really well with what I always say. I've just never, <laughs> shamelessly saying this, I've never been creative <laughs> enough to figure out how to put that into an infographic. So yeah. well done, RP. Uh, but um, all right. So if we go by those standards, if somebody came to me dieting for two years, I would technically probably need to keep them at maintenance for at least a year, if not two to three. If we go by those rules, you know, because if somebody goes through like a three-month hard deficit, I'm probably going to keep them for, in maintenance for at least three, but if not six or nine months, mm. that doesn't sound that crazy because if you went through a, a aggressive three month diet and you lost a good amount of weight and I say, Hey, we're going to probably take six months off. It's like, okay, whatever. Less than a year. It's not a big deal. Like they understand that it makes, but it's the same ratio as me saying, Oh, we're going to take two years off. And they're like, Whoa, what the fuck? You know, I, and in her case, if she died for two years, that's taking four years off. Yeah. <laughs> Twice as long, you know, now they have a problem. So I don't necessarily think that's always the case or that's necessary. But it's it's just some context for you because you shouldn't be totally shocked if if she's still this way. Now, the caveat and the double-edged sword of this is that high body fat level, there's like this, this there's a, a gray area or a balance like most things where you want to be for optimal hormonal health. If you get too lean, your hormones go to shit because your hormones are regulated predominantly off fat. 
Gotcha. Specifically stored on your body. Specifically, women. Men can handle lower body fat levels without having hormonal issues. Uh, women cannot. But if you have too much fat, you have hormonal issues because you have too much adipose tissue, fat on your body. Um, so this is why like for men with testosterone, when we start getting really, really lean, testosterone gets lower. When we get too fat, testosterone gets lower. So you have to find, that's why like healthy is lean. Healthy isn't shredded. Healthy isn't fat. It's lean, you know? So in this person's case, I would go, I would look at the person if it was my client and I would be able to judge this better, but I would say, Hey, like you're actually at a healthy body fat levels. You're just uncomfortable because your expectations and standards are way too fucking high. And now I'm having a mental conversation with her and a mindset conversation with her. I'm telling her to throw away the scale. And I'm, I'm like talking to her about those kind of things. Really starting at step one. Yep. Whereas if it's somebody who is too over, overweight, then I am trying. I'm going to go, okay, we're going to test out a deficit. Most likely she'd be able to lose weight. Because if you think about this, and this is where like there are like, like the 1% people where you do this, they're right on point and it doesn't work. And you do need to call in like blood work, a doctor something like that. But most often if, if a body has fat to lose, it will lose it in a deficit and you will not have any issues. If you are getting enough sleep, if you're training properly, if you are getting enough micronutrients in the diet enough fiber, you have all your health markers checked off, put the person in a deficit, they will lose weight 99% of the time, right? most likely that is this person if they have enough weight to lose. Now, you could take ashwagandha to help manage stress and cortisol levels, which could potentially help with hormones too. Um, there's some research more so for testosterone, but I would assume it has a similar effect on general sex hormones. Um, you could take DIM. I'm not going to try to pronounce that. Just type in DIM and then it go, like go to examine.com and type in DIM. You'll see what it is. It stands for a really, really long not even going to try. Um, but that helps with uh, balancing estrogen levels. Sometimes uh, testosterone, progesterone, these other sex hormones are out of balance because of estrogen not being in balance. So if you correct the, the estrogen balance, all these other things kind of go into play, especially as a female. Um, so you could play with those things. There's not much other like supplements I would recommend for hormone support because I don't think there's – unless you get blood work done and she's like, oh, she's clearly extremely deficient in DHEA. Then I'm like, okay, well, then supplement with DHEA. That's a, that's a hormone that drives help to help testosterone, and that happens sometimes. Um, but that's that's probably where I would go with it. Um, I would probably have the conversation with her if she's already if she's in a good like just be completely honest with her and real like you're not obese, you're actually in a healthy body fat range, you're leaner than the average American. Like we're gonna stay here, yeah. you know. And I know sometimes that's not up to the person's standards, but they got to shift their mind and stop identifying themselves with the scale. They got to focus on different goals in their life and in their training and get healthy and it might take another six months to a year uh, but if she does have weight to lose try the supplements try stress management getting in more than enough sleep and then just try try a deficit see if it works you know i would probably not go too aggressive with the deficit but i would go aggressive enough to where you know she's in a deficit because if you go too short she can adapt she's in that maintenance range and she just doesn't lose and it's not because the deficit's not big enough it's just because or i'm sorry it's not because her, her body's fucked up it's because the deficit wasn't big enough yeah. but if you get too big of a deficit, then we have stress response and that's not going to be good. So it is, it is a tricky one yeah. with this kind of client, but, um, you can always do that. And then obviously too, like if you're like, you know, she's in a healthy range, but she won't take no for an answer. Like she's going to quit if I don't try to help her, then I would put her in a deficit to prove your point because that does like as bad as that sounds, it does work sometimes. And one of you is going to be wrong and one of you is going to be right, but both of you are going to get the outcome you want. You can be proven. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, think about it, like, I think that you're not in a good place to diet. We shouldn't do it. You're telling me you're going to quit if we don't diet. Let's try it. We're going to try it. We're going to give it a few weeks. It's not going to wreck your body any more than it is. <laughs> and, and, and I don't mean that in a mean way, but like if your hormones are in a bad place, a three to four week diet isn't going to make it much worse. Yeah. You know, three to four weeks is easily reversible. If you try to diet for 24 weeks, yeah, we're going to have a problem. But if we go three to four weeks in it and you don't lose any weight, and we know for a fact you are in deficit. Something is going on. And I just proved to you that something's going on. We're not ready. Now you, you buy in again. You believe me and you go, okay, thank you for showing me that. Let's get, like, educate me. Teach me what's going on. Let's get back to maintenance and, and I'll stay there because obviously that's what I need. Or I put you in a diet and you lose. And although I was wrong, you get what you want. Yeah. That's what you paid me for. And ultimately that's all I want for you is for you to get the result. So it's a win-win. Yeah. You know? And it gives you experience. Yeah. You know? 100%. And, and knowledge and 
real life. Those are the clients I've learned the most from. Yeah. I mean, there's there's been, and you got to, like, so the only, the last thing I will say is you got to make sure it's consistency too. Because I I can think of, it's only happened to me once, but I can think of somebody that was in a very similar position. And I was like, I was losing sleep over it. I was like calling this person, texting. I could not figure out why they, they couldn't lose weight. Their blood work were, looked fine, but it was all the symptoms and signs that I would think would ca- be caused by hormonal issues. Yet blood work showed none. I, I was like, pissed and, and frustrated I felt bad because I was like I can't figure this out like I felt so bad because she was at it for so long months later after she was done she she reached out to me and just admitted she was super inconsistent she wouldn't tell me and I was like well fuck <laughs> I was stressed out I felt so bad but that taught me a lot yeah and I was like hey I get it it happens I didn't like you know get Whoa. mad or anything but I was just like I appreciate you telling me that because now I can have you know some some resolution but also going into future situations when a client's going through that i'm going to get really nitty-gritty and dig through their food logs more than i did with you because now i know there are times where people are inconsistent and don't want to admit it or they're inconsistent and they don't realize it there was times where she was just incorrectly tracking things and she didn't know so she just wasn't in a deficit you know what i mean so i think that's that's a really good way to or thing to to understand and know too going into it yep so all right, well, I think that's a good place to stop. That was a great episode. Um, again, guys, if uh, you have any other ideas or want questions, guess, links in the description. Yep. Fill out the form. Let us know who you want on, what questions you have, if you want to do the overrated, underrated, anything like that. I mean, shit, we can combine overrated, underrated, yeah. and Q&As. Yep. So just drop us anything. Check out the Taylor Trainer. and uh, our podcast. That's right. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. <laughs>